Far east of the Sword Coast, the Shadowvar and Escavrin have fallen. The Shadow Storm is no more. Sembia is fractured into city-states. A mysterious hero rises from the ashes to usher in a new era of prosperity. Yet there is still suffering. Cormir and the wild elves of the Dalelands offer war on all sides. Earthmotes, madness, and shadow dragons plague the lands. These are the tales of the heroes who ended that suffering. 1491 DR, the year of Sembian revival. All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Long-Winded One. Uh, with me tonight, I have my friends Max and Chris, who play the characters of Mitoa and Siren, respectively. So welcome, you guys. Thanks for having us. Hi, Jared. It's great to be here. <laughs> well, um, if you didn't get enough of me throughout the week uh, playing in two campaigns and uh, and and doing some uh, some of these uh, voice acting recording sessions, well, here's a one more that I'm adding to your your weekly D and D responsibilities, which I'm sure you hate terribly. <laughs> I think their listeners are probably very similar to us in that uh D and its and its ability to transfer so seamlessly to an online gaming platform has like really saved me in more ways than one mm-hmm. yeah I, I couldn't um, I couldn't agree more um, it's for for all aspects of my life when I've when I've had major life changes like if I've moved away from friends or family um, or had really stressful times in my life uh, like the last year right the pandemic um, you you know seeing you guys every week and and um, getting to uh, be transported into this fantasy world has been really helpful for me. Yeah, I never thought I would be a two campaigns a week sort of person, but boy, it's been wonderful this last year. Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. Um, and for the listeners, uh, Max is now um, actually DMing uh, a campaign in Greyhawk for us. Um, we've been doing that for over a year. Um, and I have started up uh, part two of this, which is in Cormier, uh, which may or may not make it into podcast format in the future, <laughs> depending on how this one goes. But let's let's um, we could probably sit here and chat for a long time. But I want to um, the, the purpose of these are for the listeners to get to know the people behind the characters. Um, and so if I could start with the first question, it is tell us a little bit about your background playing D&D and role-playing games. And um, let's just alphabetically, we'll start with Chris. Okay. Um, well, uh, I don't have a long history with it, but I do have a history that started when I think like many folks in elementary school and middle school. And I started because my friend Mark, oh boy, I have not said that name in so long. My friend Mark's older brother was a D&D guy, and he offered to show us how to play. But we were really into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and there was there's a there's a TMNT version right of of a of a of a role playing game, and we we gravitated towards that. And you know, most of the time, we just made characters. We loved making characters and giving them backstories. And then when it came to like actually playing the game, we were like, that, that, that was secondary, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and then I didn't really, I didn't pick up a, I didn't play at a table 
um, until I moved up here into the Berkshires of Massachusetts and met Max and uh, invited him while I was working with some young folks in our community to help DM a D&D game. And uh, that is what hooked me and brought me back in uh, was Max. Yeah. Well, there, there's a reason that I invited you guys together, uh, not just proximity, but obviously, um, you know, in, in real life and in the game, your characters are so closely joined. Um, so, Max, what about you? Yeah, I mean, D&D for me was not a word in my repertoire until college. Um, the only time I had heard it was horror stories from my grandmother telling me about people who killed each other with swords in the sewers <laughs> in the 70s, right? Um, but my friends and I would always, we just called them imaginary games, but we would make characters and go on D&D style adventures together in the woods. And mm -hmm. um, so I got to college and I had a friend named Alex who tried for months to get me to play and I was just not into it. Um, and one night he finally convinced me to play and I swear it changed my life. I started playing once a week through school and just being able to turn off my brain and laugh hysterically for hours at a time. Um, yeah. And it's been part of my life ever since. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, you're an excellent DM and you've taught me a lot about DMing. Um, uh, more than anything, I think you've taught me to be flexible and you kind of have to be flexible with our group. <laughs> um, but let's, um, let's drill in a little bit. Um, so you've talked a little bit about the sort of the, your prehistory with role-playing games, but what about, um, what about like Forgotten Realms and, and Symbia? Uh, can you, can you talk a little bit about that? I would totally defer to you, Max. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, Forgotten Realms for me goes back a really long ways. Um, when I was in probably fifth or sixth grade, somebody gave me um, the first book um, from R.A. Salvador's Drizzt Urden books. Um, and they gave me the full anthology of the first trilogy. And I ended up reading most of that sequence of books and completely fell in love with Icewind Dale and the Sword Coast. Um, but had no idea it was part of this D&D universe until much, much later. So um, once I discovered D&D, it was this wonderful connection to something that had been immensely meaningful for me growing up. Well, you know, it's um, what you mentioned about some of these novels. And, and, and if you think to like some of the video games we've played and like the world is so vast, especially along the Sword Coast. Um, one of the reasons that I picked Symbia as a, as a, um, this sounds silly now, um, knowing the book series that I'm focused on is called Sembia, a gateway to the realms. But the reason I picked Sembia was because there was very little written or known about Sembia and, and it was a gateway. It was like a, where is a place that I can enter the world without having to worry about all of this, like mm -hmm. books and video games of, of all of this stuff that I should know, but I don't. Right. And so for me, you know, Symbio was that gateway. Um, what about you, Chris? Um, what's your experience with Forgotten Realms and Symbia? None. <laughs> None. Symbia was know. it? No, seriously, you want to know an, uh, my honest approach to this? Is I, I honestly, and I am, I'm so sorry to purists out there, but I don't, I don't know the difference between Symbia, Cormier, Greyhawk. I, honest to God, like I... I am just clueless about that stuff and I don't know what's different about them. I just, my approach to the gameplay is just to commit fully to the, 
to the reality of the character that I'm playing and, and to, and to, so to respond to what's happening. And you guys are such like, you're so well-versed in the worlds as DMs that you hold that for me when I play. Like I, I never feel like I, I don't belong at the table that, you know, that my character play is what allows me to be there. And so, yeah, I don't know anything about them. <laughs> I, I think that's one of the really nice things about tabletop role-playing games, though, is that it can really support a huge variety of players. Um, you all actually met my friend Alex when he came and guest DM'd, and he is oh, somebody yeah, he's who... so good. He is someone who goes to lore levels like beyond even what Jared does. Like he'll make up a world and he'll write the history and figure out the languages and the magic systems. And then on the other hand, there's people like you and I, Chris, who don't necessarily go that deep. I don't even go that deep with Greyhawk. It's it's for me, it's about setting the players up in a world where they can live. And the one of the reasons I like using worlds like Greyhawk that are pre-made and really fleshed out is that. Um, the players can choose how deep they want to go into that world and um, what their what their characters are going to navigate through the campaign. Yeah, and my approach is like I, my character because I you know we love to start at first level characters is like my character wouldn't know anything outside of their village. Mm. Like it just wouldn't it wouldn't matter. And so you know when when the, these creatures or things pop up, like it is genuine surprise and shock and fear that comes out in my voice because you know this is the first time I'm ever encountering a monster like this or, uh, you know, a big bad like this. So yeah, all of it is real because I think that's what would happen, you know, for a halfling who's growing up in this tiny town or a half elf who spent his whole life just really as a ranger between a couple of villages, right? Like the whole world was, you know, no more than a 40 mile radius to him. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk, let's drill into your characters because you, as you mentioned, you, you drill so, so much into the character's personality and, and sort of, you know, Chris goes so far as to stay using that character's voice for the entire session. Uh, so let's talk about your, your process for your character creation for both, uh, Siren and Matoa. And we've, we've started with Chris a couple of times. Let's start with, uh, Max this time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, well, I have to be totally honest with you, um, when Chris invited me to come play in the Sembia campaign, um, I just wanted to play a bard. I, I knew I wanted to play a bard. And I love Kenkus. And so it really, Matoa began as just out of a desire for me to play a Kenku bard because I thought it was a hilarious combination. Um, that worked really well. But then once we landed in the world of Sembia, he started to take on a much different life and um it's it's interesting that you you th you're thinking about sort of what you were saying about your character chris sort of not necessarily having experienced the world and i think that's exactly what i had to come to with matoa because at the beginning of the campaign um at least in the played version um he was essentially just a street urchin who loved to collect stories it all came from this love of collecting stories um and it just grew from there um one of the, one of the things I love about the Sembia campaign, though, is the way the world um, molded our characters, and they re I really felt like all of the characters in the campaign had true character development, which I don't always find in D and D campaigns. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, for, for our podcast, um, Mato is a crucial a crucial. I mean, however he started, he you know he's the character that the plot sort of revolves around, right? His, his, um, 
and, and and you might talk about this a little bit later, but originally Matoa didn't start off as a, a harper. He he became a harper, um, and that's a that's a change that we made in the podcast. But but for the purposes of the podcast, we're essentially, in fact, I, th- I think even Siren said it in in one of the last episodes in Colta. Um, I'm just following you now, Matoa, and and we're all kind of just following Matoa, you know. Yeah, I think the the change to making him a Harper in the podcast was was a good choice because it grounds his story and it gives him some more reason um, to be striving as hard as he he does to find the things that he wants to find. Yeah. What about you, Chris? Uh, what uh, what made you want to play Siren? Um, well, honestly, I thought the picture in the book of a half elf was like super awesome <laughs> so i was like i want to be whatever that is <laughs> and in the original you know in the original conception of this character you know like it had all of this you know you know half elves are usually emissaries or diplomats or and i was like i don't know about that maybe he is but in a different way as a you know as a person of the earth and and as a ranger like he he is a sort of an emissary with you know with i guess lowborn folk is that how they refer to them and i don't know (laughs) the merchant the merchant class the merchant class right and so that was the idea and you know the thing that really you know i wanted to play was like uh, somebody in search of community you know which resonates with me is you know somebody who's really values community and belonging and what that means and to have a character who starts out feeling like he doesn't belong and how does he craft a world for himself? Um, I was really interested in exploring that and finding out how Siren developed that. And uh, and I didn't find out till later, you know, apparently people think rangers are dumb. And <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, that's just not how I, I don't play according to like how to make it like the coolest buffs or the strongest this or that. And, and I don't know enough about items to like pre-plan how I'm going to make them this monster. I just really loved the idea of somebody who spent time in the woods and and cared about the people in the villages that he that he visited yeah well you know we that's that's something that um hasn't changed from from your initial character creation um siren is much more than um sometimes how he portrays himself and i and there have been a few scenes in the podcast that that's become really clear um so if we can let's let's go there now um and talk about um uh, the question was to you um how do your characters differ from the ones in the podcast if at all oh yeah um i think you know one of the biggest changes and i think it's important for a, a real story like a podcast um, is that Matoa's motivations, I think, are a lot firmer. Um, in the campaign, a lot of it was really was he was a collector of stories and was seeking out the best story, um, right? Like this is a story that was he realized was going to go down in the ages and he was going to be the one to collect it and um, set it into history. Um, whereas in in the podcast he he has a mission he's got these alliances from the beginning um that i think al- allow that sort of you know kooky charismatic bard to to have more of a reason to as i said a few minutes ago more of a reason to do what he does as he moves through the world in sembia mm-hmm. well I, you know I, I tried to take your collector of stories idea and and translate that into a um 
the the person in the group who often is the scholar, right? Who who knows about the mythology of something, who knows about um, the nuances of the languages um, or the history of something. Um, and this this comes out here recently in the uh, in the tomb of Ravenna, where you know um, Matoa is explaining how to read these these pictorial, um, these horizontal pictorial images, um, and, and how they tell a story. Um, so ho- hopefully that came out. Uh, I, I haven't totally butchered your character creation. No, there. no, no. It, and it, and it definitely, it definitely comes, comes through. And, you know, I think in the campaign, one of the reasons Matoa ended up being the one everybody was sort of following was because I had the best charisma. And so every time we got into something, we needed the Kenku <laughs> to talk us out of it. Right. Um, but but he found that it was a, it was it, and it was always kind of funny to me because he was the one who didn't have the strongest motivations in the group. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Chris? Um, I would say the biggest difference is that you know when we started out our story, um, Siren didn't really know any of these folks and didn't have a history with any of them, mm-hmm. and so the uh, difference for me has been uh, starting the story when these relationships are already established. Uh, which I think is, of course, like, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, a different way of storytelling. Um, and I really appreciate, you know, like sort of jumping in a little bit further forward because you can always go back and, and explore things earlier. But um, yeah, I think that's the biggest difference for me is like, you know, Siren already has these relationships, so he doesn't have to sort of work them out and learn to trust. He, he already has it starting out. Yeah. And, and, you know, what's funny is, um, again, coming, I, I keep coming back to the last episode that we, that we have done, um, that we have produced. And that's the, uh, at this point it's the, um, the, the mausoleum with Ravenna. And, you know, there's a point where Jindal is and, and Sonia are talking and, and it's clear that Sonia really knows Siren and is like, look, I know you guys don't get, a, get along, you know, uh, sometimes, but there's, there's a lot more to Siren than meets the eye. And, and hopefully, hopefully that comes out. Yeah. I mean, so as a, as a professional storyteller myself, like I, I value conflict in story. So that is a place I'm really comfortable going as a improviser role player person is introducing conflict. Uh, and you know, groups just aren't immediately cohesive and friendly all the time. And there are rivalries and there's like ways, you know, they, they go through hardships and they get stronger. They, they don't trust them. And I think that's really, I really enjoy that bringing that aspect to the, the way I play my games. Yeah. Yeah. And without, I mean, without giving anything away, Siren is an incredibly deep character that, um, you know, ogres are like onions, right? Like, I just feel like Siren's like that. You keep pulling back layers and there's just more to discover. Yeah. And I got so into it. Like when, so I, I'm not giving anything away, you know, things go poorly, things go well, but there were times when we played that game, when stuff would happen, I would be a wreck for like a day and a half. And I couldn't figure out why I was so bummed. Mm. And then I'd realize like, oh, I'm carrying this tragedy with me. That's, that is really only exists in my gameplay world. But I was like holding it. So the, the, um, the thing that really stands out for me was when he dropped the orb and uh, Jario crashed down. And for the first time, you see the depth of his character and, um, and how much he's actually, he pretends to not be bothered by some of these things. But like he couldn't shake that, you know. And I don't remember if in the, in the podcast, but in the campaign, I think Siren's father was there, right? Or am yeah. I misremembering that? No, th- yeah, that's he the- was in. Yeah, he was in 
Jar- what are we calling it now? Jarlielello? Jarlielello, Jar- Jar- yeah. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> um, all right, well, just for the for the sake of time here, I'm going to go to the next question here. Um, and this is a, um, this is a question about so far what's been in the podcast. Like, uh, are there, are there any story points, plot points, uh, story arcs that you're really happy made it into the podcast so far, uh, from the campaign or, or is there anything coming up that, that you really hope is in there without giving too much away? Oh, I've got my answer for this. Um, I love the fact that you've introduced some complexity between, about the relationship between Aldond and his sword. Um, and that's something we didn't get, I think, till much later in the played version. And I love that you're setting that up early on. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I tried to, um, it's, it's when I was wrestling with how I was going to tell the story, um, you know, I, I went through, Chris will tell you, I went through several different uh, ideas. Um, and when I finally settled on this one, I, I, discovered accidentally that the bad guys needed a voice about every 10 episodes. Um, and I think that that's been really great. Um, they're harder to write cause I don't know the characters as well, um, because I write for these other characters all the time now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, um, yeah, I think, I think it was necessary to tell a well-rounded story, um, you know, to tell their points of view. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say my, um, Oh, the thing that, the thing that really sticks out for me that I'm really glad is, in the story is something that I really enjoy about this world is like the complexity of the theology of um, that. There are different levels of different types of gods working at cross purposes. Um, I just really love like the, the layers of, of power struggles that are happening and how these players, you know, continually to find themselves into different layers of these larger cosmic struggles. Well, that, that actually is a great segue into my next question. And that is uh, about the villains. And this is the last question I'll have for you tonight. So the question is about scariest villains. Uh, so, so we have Thera, we have Aldon, if you can call him a, a villain. Um, and we have, um, of course, the sword now, which is a part of that. And we have the Shatterkai, uh, the Kalagaxes who are chasing everybody. What, uh, or maybe there's something else out there that, that, that I haven't mentioned. What, what, for you, what is the scariest villain? Uh, the scariest villain uh, for me? Uh, it's the, it's the shadow Kai with who just kind of like show up and are really scary. Um, because I never know, and this was my experience in the game. I never know how powerful they are, who's going to show up with them and whether or not like this one is like a mega general. <laughs> I, I was always afraid to interact with those characters. Cause I didn't never knew if they were going to like, you know, hit me for a million points. And I was like, well, I guess Siren's story is over. <laughs> there were a few of those moments, I think. Uh, well, we we've tried to paint Caligax as the there's there's been several Shatterkais that have that have showed up who are unnamed, um, but there have been a few times where the source has actually told Sonya like run, like get out of here um, because if he catches you, you're not going to escape. And so we've we've kind of molded Caligax into that sort of um, quintessential bad guy Shatterkai. Yeah, that that I just those types of things scare me (laughs) what about you max yeah i mean for me my favorite villain in the whole campaign was always thera i just i love every time we encountered thera she's just there to mess stuff up for the whole party (laughs) um and she's got schemes and she's got allies and uh 
yeah, I, I always enjoyed. I always enjoyed coming up against Thera. Yeah, well, she yeah, she's gone through a lot of changes too. Um, and I gotta say, um, Evelyn plays her so scary, like so well, yeah, so well, yeah. Mm-hmm. The voice she uses and her attitude um, when it comes to it, and she gets, she gets. I just wrote a script for um, episode sixteen, and and the bad guys sort of get another chance to tell their story, and yeah, she's she's even more terrifying in this one. Um, so. Well, anyway, anything to leave us with here before I before I go for the evening? I told you I'd keep you for thirty minutes, and, and <sighs> here we are. Anything else for the good of the order? Yeah, Jared, thank you so much. I mean, the campaign was a pleasure to play in, and it's a pleasure to relive the story again in podcast form. And I hope the audience is enjoying it. All right. Well, thank you guys for uh, bringing your talents, and uh, uh, I'll see you in a few minutes for our next campaign. Though this marks the end of the episode, the tale continues within a ten day. Join us at longwinded.one and consider giving us a review on Apple Music, Spotify, or really whichever platform you choose.